The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. This is Into the Net FC, the soccer talk discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. This is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. the Bear of Texas. I'm not going to waste any more time. Let me welcome back my good friend and my mentor, Steve Adams. What's going on, Steve? Well, we're hanging in there here in Los Angeles. Uh, hope everybody's had a decent Monday. Um, boy, I'll tell you, a whole lot of talking points from the title game on Sunday between Italy and England. Uh, I mean, big time. I mean, where I was watching it, to say that I was miserable, well, that would be an understatement because at least three freaking times I had beer spilled on me. That's, was It was that crowded or the guys were just that drunk? It was crowded, but yeah, the supporters were that hammered drunk. I mean, on a whole freaking level of drunk. Yeah, that's unfortunate. At least... I, I saw I saw it at a pub in uh, L.A. called Molly Malone's, and probably about two. There was only about maybe fifteen people there. They weren't serving food on Sunday, but they were serving beer and drinks, which was nice. But um, I would say probably about two thirds of the people were supporting England, and the other third were supporting Italy. But nobody was loud, vociferous, or anything like that. You know, it was actually a pretty chill, laid back crowd for watching a title game. It certainly was, and. Not surprising. Uh, apparently, you know, Wembley Sim, they had problems, you know, with the crowd and everything. Uh, I really saw that coming, but, you know, from where I was, I mean, when the game was over, I mean, I, I was certain the whole the whole scene would turn into a riot scene, but surprisingly, I mean, at first there was the anger, but then it went quiet. I mean, it was just an experience, but it's, it's just a shame for England that it had to end this way. Well, better team won. I mean, let's let's get that out of the way first. Uh, England fans cannot complain that they were hosed by a bad call, that goal line technology let them down, or VAR let them down. Um, Italy was by far and away the best team of the tournament. And even though in the semifinals they were outshot by Spain, I mean, Italy was still... More than more than dangerous throughout the game and posed a lot of threats. Uh, this game, England gets out to absolutely the best start that you could hope for. I mean, at a superficial level, you would think that uh, Harry Kane plays a fantastic diagonal ball all the way across field to Jack Trippier, and then Trippier makes 
an even more impressive slide rule crossing pass. Uh, Luke Shaw makes a fantastic run, hits the ball on a volley, goes near side, um, scores a wonderful goal. Uh, Wembley is just awash with noise and people are losing their minds. And uh, you think, well, maybe maybe England finally has this. Maybe they can finally win one of these Euros. But then, uh, bit by bit, inexplicably, uh, England parked the bus. They just they stopped their initiative. They stopped attacking. Um, Italy kept on attacking, and uh, really, by the time it got towards the tail end of the first half and then, you know, the first 25 minutes of the second half, England was not getting a whiff of the ball at all. And, uh, you know, Italy eventually uh, equalizes off a corner. There's a goal mile scramble. Bonucci becomes the oldest player at the age of 34 to ever score at a Euro final. And that scramble manages to nudge the ball past uh Pickford into the net, so 1-1. And, uh, but Italy, you know, for the rest of the, the 90 minutes, Italy looked to be the more likely team to, to put it away in regulation. You know, so in some me. ways, in some ways, I think uh, scoring early kind of boomeranged on England. It seemed like they, they lost their initiative. They, they, they inexplicably, they did not go for the kill. Well, you know, the way you explained it, it speaks for itself, Steve. You meant you said it correctly. They parked the freaking bus, and this is exactly what I what I warned against. If England manages to score first, they take their foot off the pedal, they go on a full defensive mode, it's going to haunt them, okay? And apparently, you know, I, I, you know, it's always argued to this, you know, some might say England decided to get arrogant. I mean, it could it could be the case. I mean, I can't confirm because you know, I mean, everybody anybody can be arrogant and just not show it. I mean, arrogant can certainly be a hidden feature in somebody's head, but but it just seems like England decided to score one goal and they thought that that it was game over. I mean, Luke Shaw's goal was the fastest in uh, Europe Euro uh, history, that's for sure. But what England didn't understand is they were lucky to score on that on that because it was off of a blunder by the Italian defense. And as you mentioned, you know, how England parked the bus. I mean, that's something that Italy was formerly infamous for doing. So Italy decided, you know what? I mean, it, they. I guess Italy would say they felt like they were being mocked based on the, on the past performances. So Italy was like, well, we're going to do something about it. And we're going to score when the time is right. And they did. Well, they tried to, they tried to out Italy, Italy. Uh, I think Southgate was sort of lulled into a false sense of security uh, by virtue of the fact that his defense had played so well. They'd only going into the title game. They'd only given up the one goal to Denmark in the semifinals, and I mean, on one hand, you could understand where Southgate is really going to put uh, a lot of confidence into his back line of you know Walker, Maguire, uh, Stones, Trippier. Um, but the, the thing as the game progressed too, Mancini just flat out outmanaged Southgate. Uh, Mancini went to his bench earlier. In some cases, not out of, you know, desire. Uh, Chiesa had to leave early, which was unfortunate because he was one of the best players in the entire tournament for the Italians. But 
Southgate just waited, waited, waited. He waited till extra time to bring Grealish on. And, um, you know, part of the problem is, though, is that because the Italians were bossing the midfield so much, with England not having any whiff of the ball from midfield, they could not get service of the ball to Grealish or Kane or, um, or Raheem Sterling. I, I mean, you got to have service of the ball to score. Uh, Sterling had a fairly quiet game. The other interesting thing, too, in this game is that the, the referee, some might think maybe to a fault, but he pretty much let the boys play. I mean, it was a physical game. Um, I think there were a couple of turning points where I think Italy certainly could have gotten red cards. Uh, the one where Collini does a horse collar tackle uh, t- towards the end of uh, regulation, Saka's about to leave Collini for dead with nothing but Wembley green grass in front of him. And Collini literally does a horse collar tackle he just grabs Saka from behind wrenched him down he took the yellow from the team I mean to me that was such a blatant and dangerous thing to do I mean to me that I think that should have been a red but uh but I think the people with UEFA and I think the officiating people were so sensitive about being a deciding factor in the game after you know the outrage of that soft penalty that was given uh, in favor of Raheem Sterling in the semifinal against Denmark. I think they were very sensitive to that. So I think in this game, I think the ref was definitely going to let the, let the guys play. He was, and, you know, w- without a doubt, I mean, Giorgio uh, Chiellini definitely was lucky was, was lucky on that play, but but it's just a shame, that, you know, because I said, I said to myself, if this goes into penalty kicks, England is at, is at a disadvantage because England, much like France, has a bad track record and bad luck when it comes to a penalty shootout, and Italy has the best track record out of the, you know, when it comes to France and England, and Italy, I mean, Italy would be the, the team that knows how to get through a penalty shootout. I mean, that's what gave him the 2006 world title, but, but as far as Gareth Southgate goes, I mean, it's not only the tactic formations that we've seen, but I mean the way that he all these late substitutions and you know and how he he selected the guys for the penalty shootout. I mean that's really what what's really bad for for, for Gareth Southgate. I mean the guys that who took the penalties for England are Kane, Maguire, Rashford, Sancho, and Saka. I mean with all to, I mean when you decide to put the young guys, look. I mean when it comes to a penalty shootout, in my honest opinion, Steve. I think it's for, that's something that the veterans need to do. You need to put the veterans in because they have the experience, they know the pressure, and you know they can get through it. Well, the irony is too in all this is that a lot of people forget that Gareth Southgate himself he missed a penalty at the Euros in '96. Uh, yes, sir. So, so you know he knows a thing or two about what it's like to be in that uncomfortable glare of the spotlight. Uh, one thing that's not talked about much with the PKs is that, you know, Jordan Pickford stopped two penalties. And, uh, I mean, if if you're going into a shootout, if your goalie can stop two of the five shots, more often than not, your chances are pretty good you're going to win. But um, Rashford hit the post on his attempt, and then... Uh, 
Sancho and Saka, both of their attempts, not particularly great attempts on goal, but they were saved. And, um, you know, the Italians are the champs. First time since 1968. That's an awful long time. And and unfortunately, speaking of uh, Rashford, Sancho, and Saka, I mean, the aftermath, I mean, the racial abuse, I mean, it's it makes me absolutely sick. It's just this ugly thing in football. Um, and, I mean, it's, it, we were talking a little bit before we started the tape, and, you know, the racism stuff in football, this isn't just an English problem. Um, English fans seem to wait till the big occasion when something goes wrong with the national team for that ugly strike to come out. Uh, you don't see it as much with, the regular season games as far as like to contrast with say in Italy where there's been so many occasions where black players have bananas thrown at them, monkey chants, all that kind of stuff. That's not really happening in EPL games. Uh, But still there is sort of this ugly subculture in soccer and it exists in France too. Um, It's, it's terrible. It's awful. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just unfortunate that, uh, that this happened. And it, I know that there is a pretty good chunk of English fans that are not real happy when the players take a knee, you know, as, as a show of solidarity against racism. And, uh, you know, they've taken a lot of stick for that. Well, after the amount of abuse that has been heaped on Saka, Sancho and Rashford, uh, Rashford even getting his mural defaced in Manchester. You know, and this is a guy who has done a lot during the pandemic to try to help out poor kids, make sure poor kids are getting breakfast and lunch during the day. And, uh, you know, he's really a pretty exemplary human being. And uh, it's just awful what all three of these players have had to endure. Uh, the English FA made a very public tweet uh, today that was been denouncing uh, the racial abuse, but, uh, but I mean, it, this whole episode beyond soccer has just sort of turned, a, a mirror on a part of the fan bases in soccer. And it's not a very pretty picture. It, it's not, it, it, it's absolutely disgusting. I mean, people are really brave, you know, they're going to hide behind a computer screen and they're going to send abuse, you know, like that, you know, it's just unbelievable, like how how great. Like, I mean, how do how do you? I mean, those a question I have for those kind of people. Like, how do you sleep at night, knowing that because you know a player who's under so much pressure, who's representing his country, trying to win the title, makes a mistake and it's costly. I mean, how do you sleep at night not knowing what they have to go through to represent their team and with that mistake? I mean, and you decide just to abuse them about it, and you know, you know, going us, you know, and I should mention this, you know. The, the, the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, and Prince William himself, too, he expressed how disgusted he is with this, uh, with this behavior. It's just, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, and I, as you mentioned, you mentioned, like, it, this happens in France, and, and in the cases, it's, it's been happening in France for so long. I mean, Kylian Mbappe got racially attacked as well, and, and for Spain, uh, Alvaro Morata got death threats. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just this whole, this whole ugly thing, and, uh, you know, look, for the people who have 
a really hard time with this whole aspect of taking a knee, you know, to take a stand against racism. Um, you know, you can say what you want about Black Lives Matter as an organization, fair enough. But as far as, you know, the symbolic gesture of taking a knee as far as solidarity against racism, you know, um, this whole this whole episode of what's happened with so many of these players uh, when things have not haven't gone wrong and they've been racially abused by their fan bases, I mean, I think it kind of shows that there is something to be said for trying to have some solidarity and to try to make a stand against racism on the part of footballers, because as we are seeing now, all too clearly, the problem is very real out there. I mean, it's not only real, Steve, but it's a problem that that seems to be getting worse each time. Well, I think once upon a time, I mean, people wouldn't say things in polite conversation, you know, because they they do this. Oh, well, it's impolite, and I'm gonna people are gonna think that I'm a jerk. Well, you know, with the anonymity or semi anonymity of making a, a Facebook or Twitter post or anything like that, you know, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of courage to say something that's just really outlandish and insulting on the web um, doesn't take a whole lot of courage to do that. You know, now it's gotten to the point though now where people have gotten so used to writing, you know, foul and abusive stuff. Now they're not afraid to, to publicly say uh, things to people, you know, like, like unfortunately that we've seen during the pandemic as far as, you know, verbal and physical attacks on on Asians. Um, you know, that's that's something that we've seen, and I, I guess it's just one of those things where I guess social media in some ways can be kind of a gateway drug, so to speak, as far as, well, I, I, I'm used to, I could type this out. Well, heck, now I, I, I can say what's on my mind now. And... Um, it's really unfortunate. You know, there used to be a certain level of shame in being a bigot, being a jerk, and now there's some people that just have no shame. It's true. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, go to a point where, you know, we've all we've always known people that when they get angry, they might see something and they don't mean it because, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, especially like me, like when you get angry, you're not yourself. But, you know, that's one thing. But, you know, when you decide literally just you know to take your also because you know you take your anger your anger out you, you go too far i mean you know people just need need to know better and as far as the crowd trouble goes i mean the violence and disorder you know pre and post game i mean a total of 49 arrested and 19 officers injured <laughs> yeah no it's maybe not quite like the bad old days of the the 70s and up through the mid 80s in england as far as with the whole hooliganism thing but the hooliganism thing was a whole different thing altogether, uh, you know, as far as instead of now with the racial abuse and stuff, it's it's something else that's a little bit different that's taken on a whole different life of its own now. It, it, it really is. And, you know, and speaking about this, this actually reminds me of a story that my dad told me when he was on a business trip in England, you know, basically, um, it was, it, as a matter of fact, from what I understand, it was actually right after I was born, like I was born, he was there, and then he was called onto a business trip in in London, and right before he, he's about to fly back, he, he was uh, visiting a a, lo a local 
uh, I think it was like a pub uh, that he would go eat and watch the games at. And if that on that particular day, I believe it was uh, from what I said, Manchester United and Chelsea were playing, and and Manchester the game was in London too. He was near the Chelsea section too, and Chelsea ended up getting beaten bad, and and all of a sudden. Before my dad, how my dad tells the story is as he's about to pay the bill, a fight ensues and it, it quickly escalates. And I just remember like the owner, who's the, who was also the, the bartender, just tells my dad, "Don't worry about it, just get out." Because you know they had known each other because my dad was always traveling to England by that that time. So, and he just told that you know I, I was just born. So he's like, "Yeah, you're you just became a dad. You know what? Just get out of here before you get hurt." So, it's, it's, you never know like when something bad happens. I mean, it doesn't take long for it to be a fight, a fist fight between two supporters, and then it doesn't take long for it to be escalated to a freaking riot. Well, I mean, here's the other thing, too, before, you know, people start thinking that we're just going to be bashing on uh, European fans. The most unsafe I have ever felt at any sporting event, be it in Europe or uh, I've seen World Cups in Japan and New Zealand and stuff. I've never had any issues of fan problem at the Rugby World Cups. But the most frightened I've ever been at a sporting event was... um, the second year I had lived here, so this was uh, 2013, I had season tickets to Chivas USA, and uh, me and some of my friends from the Chivas USA fan group, uh, we watched Chivas USA play the LA Galaxy at a game, and um, there were some Galaxy fans that wanted to seriously fuck us up. And um, we actually had the LA Sheriff's Department uh, people escort us to our cars. You know, luckily, luckily it wasn't, you know, a heavily attended game or anything like that. It's not like it was the full 25,000 capacity down in Carson. But still, um, it was a really, really scary thing to have some people that, you know, a whole gang of people that really wanted to mess me and a couple of my buddies up. Um, so... You know, consequently, ever since that, I hate the Galaxy. Hate the Galaxy fans. <laughs> um, so, no no love lost there. But anyway, but that happened, you know, right here in the good old U.S. of A. So, um, you know, so fan violence and, and things like that. I mean, that's, that's something that's not a purely European thing. So I want to make sure that our listeners are, are aware that, you know, we are not trying to tee off uh, totally on the Euros. But um, but unfortunately, you also can't you, you can't turn away from some of the ugliness of what's been going on as far as with the abuse that uh, Mbappe, Rashford, Saka and Sancho have all had to take in the last couple of weeks. It's pretty darn ugly. It is, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's totally not just in Europe. I mean, it, it's in the U.S. I mean, I, I've had I've seen my share of, you know, hooliganism as well. You know, it it just seems that it's not just in soccer. It's not just in Europe. I mean, it's kind of a thing where it can be debated where it started, but at this point, it doesn't matter where it started. It's just that it's spread all over the world now. I mean, hooliganism is everywhere, every sport. I mean, you'll, you'll see in baseball, you'll see Red Sox fans and Yankees fans fight. You'll see Buckeye fans and what Michigan Wolverine, Wolverine fans fight. I mean, you'll, you'll even see the players on the field fight. <laughs> hmm. yeah. But uh, but at any rate, but, you know, uh, mad props to Mancini and his Italian squad and his two geriatric defenders. Uh, 
uh, Chiellini and Bonucci, who were absolutely solid uh, throughout. Uh, they just had a really, really great tournament. Um, now, the other thing I'll also throw out there, too, is for the A England fans who are still licking their wounds after this disappointing result, a couple things to consider. This team has been able to make the final four in the last World Cup and the Euros. There's no other country that can say that. So this is also a team that's still very young. I mean, you you take a look at a lot of these guys. I mean, the guys who, who missed those penalties, uh, Sancho, Saka, even Rashford's still fairly young. Saka is just a baby. He's only 19. You know, right. he's just... A He's just a young kid, yeah. and um, you know, I my hope is is that these players can take this disappointment, you know, that they can grow from it, that it doesn't crush them. But at the end of the day, England is still a very very talented squad. Um, I mean, obviously, on the one hand, you have to give some credit to Southgate, but. I, but I also think, though, too, that I, I think he did get thoroughly outcoached by Mancini in, in the final. If he decides to stay on as the England coach through the World Cup and Cutter next year, and my gut feeling is that I still think the FA will, will still keep him on. Um, I mean, there really hasn't been any other coach in English uh, football history who's been able to get uh, England into the semifinals of two major tournaments back-to-back, -back, you know, the Euros and the World Cup. And, you know, you're talking about some pretty good coaches, you know, um, like Sir Bobby Robson, you know, for starters. So, you know, he's, he's had a certain level of success, but I just, I think he just, he lost his nerve and he didn't, he didn't go for it. He didn't go for the jugular. I think Southgate just, he lacked, uh, he lacked, a, I think, a killer instinct to really take the, the game by the scruff of the neck. And, you know, he waited way too long to make his substitutes. I mean, by then, Italy had total control of the game. And, um, you know, with the penalties, and, you know, we know that for the English, uh, penalties is kind of the English disease. They just have a real hard time with that. They've had some pretty famous flameouts because of penalties. So... A lot better to have the match not come down to penalties in the end. Yeah, especially if you're England, so. But, you know, you're, you're right. As far as England goes, I mean, the future is is still bright. I mean, it's hard to get through it. I mean, especially for France. I mean, France, you know, the world champions and how we lost to Switzerland. And, you know, and, and for England, it could be worse. I mean, England, I'm not sure if I'm should if if i right when I say this, but, hey, France has to deal with all the drama, you know. The players are arguing, you know, Rabiot's mom getting an argument with Pogba's uh, – Pogba and Mbappe's dad, uh, you know, it, it could be worse. And, and as far as B Bakayo Saka goes, you know, it, it's the same thing for him. Like you have to go through, you have to go through these hard times in order to have, to, in, in order to make it to, to the success. Like you know, and the same thing goes with Mbappe. Like this is all part of a burning, building process. Like you, you got to go through some disappointment, and that goes for me too as a as a sports writer. Like you know, for me the disappointment would be getting rejected at jobs. You know, supposedly helping build a website, and then you know getting lied to and, and whatever. I mean, the bottom line is, in life, hard times breed better men. 
So you, you got to go through certain things, and you know that's how you make it in life. Like you got to go through disappointment to get to the happy to the happy days. That's true. Yeah, I mean, you got to pay your dues in life. I mean, every even soccer players have to pay their dues. Yeah, you know, it's it's never one hundred percent easy. You know, even for the greats. So, um, but uh, but at the end of the day, this is probably the best Euro tournament that I've ever seen, as far as quality of really good games, some fantastic goals, high drama. Um, I mean, everything from Christian Eriksen surviving a sudden cardiac arrest on the field, having CPR done on him on the field, surviving that to get a defibrillator put into place. And, you know, he, he's, he's alive. He's walking around. I don't know if he'll be able to play soccer professionally again. That's going to be a discussion he's going to have to have with his cardiologist. But, you know, he's able to be with his partner and with his kiddos, and he's still around. So that's that's a pretty incredible thing. I mean, out of everything with this tournament, that's that's probably the best thing, in my opinion. No, 100%. And as, as far as that goes, you know, for Italy and England and, and, and all the European nations, you know, World Cup qualifiers resume in September, so... I mean that's that's the sights to put on right now. So, you know, and I have no doubt. You know, Italy and England are definitely going in as the favorites in for Qatar. Well, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely some talent there. You know, France is France still continues to produce young talent. Uh, Deschamps going to have to get he's going to have to knock some heads and get people on the same page. I think that's one thing that helped both Italy and England make to the final, the level of solidarity and cohesion those people that those teams had, you could tell that, you know, that there is a great deal of camaraderie and respect among both squads. And I think, uh, you know, that's certainly a function of the manager. So, I mean, I think you got to give Southgate, you know, props for, having players that seem to fit in well together as a unit. Uh, Mancini did just a masterclass job of putting this team together. Um, with that aging back line, do they have one more really good run left in them for Cutter? You know, knowing full well that they're going to have to get through, you know, World Cup qualifying and, you know, because of when the World Cup's going to start, I mean, there's, there's going to be a bunch of matches that are just going to be stacked. Uh, and then you, you add that in with the club matches for a lot of these players. I mean, it's really going to be, you know, kind of a war of attrition as far as who's going to survive out of this and who's going to qualify for Cutter. But, um, but England, England and Italy both acquitted themselves very well in this tournament. Again, Italy, very deserving win. They, I think they were way better than England on the day on Sunday. And they were, frankly, the best team in this entire tournament. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, at this point, there's just no there's no point of denying that Italy won the title fair and square and that they're a good team again. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Into the Net FC is available to you on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Steve, it's always an honor to have you back on. I can't wait to have you back on soon. Good talking to you, partner. Everybody, have a good rest of your week. Get vaccinated!
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.